0: On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are trying to figure out how in the world a virus is now mutating as if we needed more, right? We finally get this thing figured out, kind of. We finally get a vaccine and then we hear, oh yeah, it's mutating because of course it is. What does this mean? Don Robertson, on a totally much more gentle, much more lighthearted note, joins us also to talk about a variety of things in the world of sports. Stick around.
1: Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML.
0: Yeah, we're hearing that, uh, well, you've heard this over the weekend, that the COVID coronavirus, that there is a mutation in the strain in the United Kingdom. And it's now potentially a more infectious version of the strain and more people are getting it and... We've now seen flights shut down because everyone's in a panic because we got the vaccine, but now all of a sudden this and millions of questions and, you know, it's 2020. Whenever you think that something is about to be fixed, we get this. But what – I don't understand any of this. Let's be honest. I am not someone who is an expert in this. I don't understand how a virus mutates. I don't understand why this is happening. So let's turn to someone who does – that would be Dr. Karen Mosman, who's a professor of pathology and molecular medicine and associate vice president of research at McMaster University, who joins us. Dr. Mosman, thanks for your time today.
2: No problem. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, let's let's dive right into this, into the first part that, um, you know, when we hear that a virus is mutating, I was sort of halfway joking at the top of the show that this sounds like something out of Aliens with Sigourney Weaver, where you've got mutating things. How does a virus that seems to have been established
2: start to change? So in, in reality mutations are a natural and ongoing part of the life cycle of a virus so it's something that happens with all viruses at different rates but it, it is a natural part of a typical virus life cycle so it's not something that that's so unusual or unexpected
0: so would it have been so it would have been anticipated then that this virus would have mutated
2: Yes, viruses are always mutating, um, but most of the mutations are actually not helpful to the virus. So most of the mutations end up almost being mistakes that actually don't allow the virus to survive. And it's only rare mutations that actually give the virus some sort of advantage to to either, in this case, transmit better or spread better or become more pathogenic. Um, in many cases, the mutations are silent and they don't change the the replication or the outcome of a virus infection at all.
0: But I'm hearing, if I'm reading the stories right, and I look, I, as I say, I'm not the expert here, but as I'm reading this, It's 2020. It sounds like, of course, this is the virus that when it's mutating, it's making it more challenging for us rather than killing itself off. Am I right?
2: So some of the mutations, so there have probably been many, many mutations that have happened that we haven't seen because it's been deleterious for the virus. And so those particular viruses haven't even survived. So we haven't seen them. We're only seeing the ones that we want to test because we start to see something happening. We start to see instance of enhanced spread or we see an instance of a new, um, something new in the clinic. And so then we go looking for those mutations. So it's not surprising. This, I mean, as I said, all viruses mutate. This particular virus, coronaviruses, They actually don't um, mutate and change as quickly as some other viruses, because unlike some viruses like HIV, that has a very high mutation rate, and one of the reasons why we don't yet have a vaccine against HIV, these viruses have what we call a proofreading function. So they can, they proofread, just like you might proofread an essay for mistakes, they can proofread and fix some of those mutations and mistakes. So relative to other viruses, this virus doesn't mutate as quickly, but there's so many viruses out now, it spreads so far around the world, it's so prominent that it's not surprising that we are seeing some mutations that will give the virus an advantage. And in this case, that appears to be in its ability to spread or transmit.
0: You clearly didn't read my university work if you're talking about proofreading. (laughs) Uh, um, Is this, um, so is this something you say it it always happens with viruses? Is this an environmental thing, a factor that's on it? Is it a chemical factor? Is it just a biological factor that because it's a living organism, it's going to naturally change what happens or why does it happen? So
2: it, it is something that naturally happens. So when viruses get into a cell they replicate and make many many copies of themselves and they can do this very quickly so the fact that they could be making hundreds or thousands of copies of themselves very very quickly there are bound to be mistakes and so and in some cases there are a lot of mistakes and in other cases there's not so many mistakes but it's just due to the natural life cycle of viruses. When you're when you're making that many copies of yourself that quickly, it's not a perfect process.
0: So it would be perfectly expected then that we could have multiple different strains in the same area at the same time. It's not like once it mutates, it begins to take over and only that mutation then becomes the dominant one. We could have a variety going on right now.
2: And that's exactly what we're seeing. So if and there has been a large concerted effort, not just locally, but certainly across the country and around the world to be sequencing as many patient isolates as possible. And there are many different mutations. Um, and so we see these changes, these differences but as, as I mentioned, many of these changes are, have no effect on the ability of the virus to, to spread, to transmit, to cause infection, to cause symptoms. It's, it's usually a rare event that enables the virus to, um, to incur these, these new properties. But because this virus is so widespread around the world, that likelihood of seeing that is just increased.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Dr. in some months back um, when there were certain parts of the world, Italy, for example, where things were really out of control and many cases, in many serious cases, there were some people who were suggesting maybe they could be facing a slightly different strain than other places were. Is that a possible explanation for why some parts of the world got this way worse than others right off the bat?
2: That's always a possible explanation. And certainly earlier in the pandemic, before we were, we had the ability to sequence as many genomes and accumulate as much information on, on sequences. Um, we we certainly know much more now that we've accumulated all that information, whereas we didn't have the luxury of all of that information that early, um, especially when it was really outbreaking in in Europe and in Italy. It's always possible that you know different strains will have or could have slightly different um, properties, and so that's always possible. And that is one of the reasons why there's such an effort being put forth globally to sequence and to track as many of these mutations and strains and variants as as we possibly can.
0: Okay, when we just came in for this segment, I said that we know now from listening to you that mutations are always going to happen, and that's the good news. The concerning part, I think, in a lot of people's minds would be we've just heard that the vaccine has arrived, And now we've got this mutation. Now, we know that different flu shots every year don't always work because we don't exactly know which strain of the flu is going to be out there. We take our best guess and we anticipate. What's the chances that when this thing mutates that it renders the vaccine that we're injecting right now to be not
2: useful? So the way this virus replicates and indeed just the makeup of this virus is very, very different than influenza virus. So influenza virus is made up of eight different pieces of RNA. And so you can have, if you have one virus um, and it comes in contact with the cell with another virus and you get mixing of those eight pieces, then you can get what we call genetic shift and you get a very, very different virus because it's a different combination of the eight pieces of RNA. And so that's why with influenza virus and that's why when you hear H1, N1, H2, N2, those are different pieces of the, the RNA segments that make up that virus. So that's very different than coronaviruses that are only made up of one piece of RNA. It's always possible that a mutation could affect the vaccine. We certainly haven't seen that yet. We we have seen some of the mutations are in the spike protein. And of course, almost all of the vaccines are, are against the spike protein because that's the major protein on the outside of the virus. And in all the pictures of the virus where you see the round ball with the red sort of spikes on the yep. outside, yep. that's the spike protein. And so mutations that are in the spike protein are are possible and they could affect the vaccines but we haven't seen indications of that yet although it is early days the vaccine is just starting to roll out so only time will tell
0: i have so many things i want to ask you about but i don't have a lot of time to do this so um, we heard late last night or this morning i can't remember that canada said it was banning flights for 72 hours from the uk because of this new strain and I think that's probably a good thing. My question, though, is, is it, not, is it not too late and is it not too specific? Because if this has occurred in the UK and it's taken till now to figure it out, almost certainly, am I wrong? Almost certainly it has spread out of the UK. Some people have must have taken it out of there. So flights from anywhere could be bringing this new strain into Canada.
2: And that's the reality with current global travel. Um, it's with global travel and the ability to get really anywhere around the world in 24 to 48 hours, um, that is what enables these pandemics to now spread so quickly. It is a precaution; um, it's better than nothing. But will that absolutely 100% you know protect from the virus entering into Canada? Uh, probably not. Um, it will certainly decrease the possibility. But it, it could be, and this is why, again, the, the sequencing efforts that we're doing locally and across the country will really help to identify if that particular strain is appearing in Canada.
0: It is uh, it is fascinating what you're able to tell us. Honestly, it's, uh, it's, it's such an interesting thing. I mean, and, and interesting, of course, in a horrible way, but interesting non- nonetheless while we're dealing with this. Dr. Karen Mossman from McMaster University, very much appreciate the time today. Thanks for taking this.
2: Not a problem. Anytime.
0: Um, yeah, there's so many, so many things we don't really still know or that are changing under our feet. Or even as I say, with these flight bands, uh, look just with what she said, this was in the UK, but it was first noticed apparently in September, you know, everybody listening knows that this has spread that this new mutated version guaranteed is now out of the UK and is a variety of other places. So blocking planes just from the UK, you know, it does something, but probably personal opinion probably would have been a whole lot better to say, let's block all flights in for 72 hours till we figure this thing out. Cause it could be coming from anywhere, but you know, what do I know back when this thing started, our health leaders told us, you know, we shouldn't ban any travel from anywhere because that would be wrong. Well. You know, this is this is my fear that I just some of the things that we've seen, some of the advice we've seen, not from Doctor Mossman certainly, but from some of the people who we see on TV every day, have whiffed again and again. I'm hoping this is not another whiff. I really am.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Time to bring in Don Robertson. He is the owner and operator of the Dundas Real McCoys hockey team. When they play hockey, uh, he is the guy who runs ComChoice Realty. They always sell homes. Uh, he is the Dundas Citizen of the Year a few years back. Uh, Donald, how are you this evening?
3: I'm in fine shape. How are you?
0: I am. Well, I'm a little. I'm a little uh, miffed. I got to be honest. I'm a little miffed. Um, the spec. My own employer did a story where they went around and they've mapped out the homes in Hamilton that you have to go and visit for the Christmas decorations and mine did not make the list.
3: Do you have any lights up?
0: I have a light. One of those ones you stick in the grass and it flashes blue lights. I thought that was sufficient.
3: Well, they probably thought by putting you on the list it would just embarrass everybody else (laughs) until they excluded it.
0: I can't, are you, are you, I didn't see, are you on this list?
3: I didn't look at the list. I would presume not. I live in Hooterville they'd never find me. <laughs> yeah, but are you, are you
0: the Clark W. Griswold of Linden with, uh, with enough lights that we can see you, you and the Great Wall of China from space?
3: You might see it, but it's because I have, uh, 10 spotlights up on the old, uh, in the front of the garden and they're put in with a T-bar, and they light up the entire front of the house because we like the front with the red uh, red ribbons on the pillars, so it, we thought it looked cool, so we lit the whole house up. And I so don't this like is height, not... so I'm not going up on a ladder anytime soon.
0: So these just aren't security lights, so nobody robs you?
3: Oh, no. Anybody can rob us. It's just, it's, no, we don't even have cameras. I don't care. Come on in. I got nothing.
0: Well... I mean, look, your wife may be listening. You better have something. Christmas is coming. There better be a present in the house that is going to impress. I mean, uh, there's something they can steal, right, Don? Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. There's something they could steal.
3: Well, of course there is. And, you know, you make, <laughs> and, and guys, you know, you get to a certain age where you make a pack and you're not going to buy anything. And I was going to go buy uh, Rick buy's book and Brian Burke's book. And she said, well, don't, don't bother going to Indigo and picking them up. And I go on. Okay, so we're not going to buy each other anything, but I can't go buy those books because I was going over that way. So I am I was getting set up for a total failure, which I'm more than capable of fulfilling on any given day, but <laughs> so I was getting cricked. So I, went out, I think I resolved it though on the weekend. That
0: is the worst. That is the worst when you, when you're, you and your spouse, and we've done this before and each has caught the other one. When you say, "Oh no, no, no gifts this year," or just ten, okay, twenty-five dollars, just something small, just so you can open on a Christmas morning, yeah. and then one of them opens the other, and it's like Michael Scott in the office when it's a ten-dollar, you know, uh, Secret Santa in the <laughs> office, and he gives out an iPhone. <laughs> you, give, right, you, just, you give just, your wife uh, a sachet yeah. of of. of you know, some sort of, uh, what do you call that uh, stuff you put, the little leaves you put in the house, the uh, potpourri, you give her a little oh, bag it. of potpourri and suddenly she goes, oh, well, I bought you this trip on a cruise around the world. Enjoy.
3: <laughs> what have always wanted? Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, no, it's, uh, they don't understand that that can kind of ruin Christmas morning if they do that. It's lovely. Like, you know. Yeah. It's lovely that you got that year. gift. But yeah, you, you
0: now feel exactly, exactly. Or or worse, here's the other one. Now, I haven't done this yet, but I've heard of someone who did. And frankly, Don, I'm amazed they fell for this and listened to their spouse. Because we try to listen to our wives. That's generally a wise move. But the guy bought her, I can't remember if it was a Swiffer or a Broom or something, because apparently at some point she had mentioned. Look, did, your wife could say, I want to have a drive-on vacuum cleaner. Yeah. And you still don't do it. That, that's a not, you give that at another time when that's, you know, or you buy it for yourself and say, oh, I'll do it. And then knowing that, you know, maybe that may or may not yeah. happen, but yeah, Christmas gift of a, of a cleaning device, probably a poor idea.
3: I can't see how that could ever end well. <laughs> and especially if they looked at you and said, so you got me a broom and you say, <laughs> well, in case you want to go downtown. In case you, yeah, may you may just want to ride, ride it, right <laughs> you may as well go, right, go right in next
1: week, right?
3: So I don't know. I'm not. I uh, I'm not sophisticated enough to figure women out. So I just carry on the best I can. Seuss uh, doesn't doesn't kill me. So I figure that's so an far. Accomplishment. So far. So far. That's right. Yeah. That's early in the
0: program. <laughs> That's right. There's we've still got four, oh, almost forty five minutes left with you capable of saying something before Christmas that might get you off. So, you know if, if she suddenly is approaching you with a meat cleaver, we gotta have the safe word, Don. What what's the safe word gonna be if Suze is coming at you, just so the entire radio audience knows? Archipelago. Just scream Archipelago if she's coming at you with a meat cleaver.
3: You, you will know, and it will have to get bleed out. She's coming with a beat. <laughs> so I want to know, I heard you say that there's uh, you were doing the arithmetic in your head.
2: Yes. How many days
3: there were left for Christmas Well, that was shopping. on my fingers. Where exactly, where, where exactly are you going to Christmas shop?
0: Well, that was, I say, that that sort of followed up. I mean, you could do online ordering, and some places have uh, sidewalk delivery, but um, but it, you know, it's, uh, it's tough. I mean, I, like I've, I've ordered some local stuff, some stuff locally. I've, uh, there's a few things that I couldn't find. So I've ordered them from Amazon. And one of the things that I ordered from Amazon as a gift from our daughter, which is just a fun gift. Um, it still has not been processed, so it's not going to come for Christmas. It's not even gone through. So, you know, you, you, you sort of, you almost can't win. You just have to, you know, go with whatever you go with and hope it works.
3: Well, I don't know. how. But I'm surprised at that because I was going to tell you um, it was about three weeks ago and I've never ordered anything online in my life. I would like to go look at them and touch them and stuff like that. But um, she's ordered something and it was around 3.30 in the afternoon and I had to whip home and grab some paperwork and she said, oh, I just, look what I just ordered. That's great. It was at the house 9.30 in the morning. I swear Amazon have trucks running around the streets with the most popular items on them. And they can deliver them before you actually finish putting your visa number in. I mean, how does that happen? Where did that thing come from? I don't remember what it was, but I mean, like, it was uh, wasn't twenty four hours. It, it is um, hours. How, it's how it's a happen?
0: remarkable it's a remarkable problem. I mean, it's it in some ways it's a remarkable success and a remarkable thing that they've been able to do for sure. But it's a remarkable problem for local businesses unquestionably because it becomes so convenient don that uh, how how are you going to compete i I remember talking to you know someone i don't you know he's still in business sort of but um you know and and if you're running a local business your your costs are almost certainly for an item are going to be higher because you can't buy it in the kind of bulk that amazon or someone can and so you're saying well you know what what we offer is service. We offer you that special customer service that you want and that will well, how do you do that when you can't even go into stores? I mean, it's just such a huge the one selling feature you have has now been taken away. So now you're relying on simply that people really want to help local businesses and are willing to pay more. That's a tough selling feature.
3: And that's that's exactly why the local businesses are are in, you know, facing hardships. I mean, it just and, and they got to be thinking now there's no end to this I think the premier made a compromise today by letting everything stay open you know a little bit longer but it's kind of a tease right it's not nobody's going to get rich but maybe somebody won't go broke and you have to argue the safety of it and you know if it's that important why didn't you do it immediately and you know i boy i don't want to be him right now' i
0: well we were talking about it last hour i mean there isn't a there isn't a good answer for it and you're you're you know it's tough either way you know speaking of business and it's funny i was going to bring this up but it's it's a good segue because we're everybody everybody who's in business in any capacity is looking for ways to try to stay afloat and to try and bring in some money and to try and find way uh, options to remain viable there is discussion that the nhl is going to be this year allowing for advertising on helmets and maybe on sweaters or at least more on sweaters. Are you, I I tend to be a bit of a purist. I don't want NHL hockey to look like European hockey where they, they look like NASCAR drivers half the time. Um, But under these circumstances, are you okay with NHL teams putting advertising on equipment and on, on uniforms or is it still, you would prefer they don't?
3: Well, I mean, I would, uh, I'm would. i a traditionalist, so I would like to see the Detroit Red Wing or the Chicago Blackhawks sweater remain as pure as it has been and the Toronto Maple Leaf one uh, as long as possible. But the only thing I would say is, I mean, sure, if that's what it takes, I mean, pretty clearly there's going to be some kind of an economic hit to a league like the National Hockey League that for a lot of years and still a, a large portion is gate-driven revenue And that's how they sustain themselves. But clearly that's not going to happen. And if they can make a patch look like, you know, 16,000 people a night and get paid for it, I think they're going to have to do it. I mean, the only thing I say though, Scott, is, I mean, if they want to do it and that's the way that it's going to survive, then I get, I mean, that's what they have to do. What I think you'll see is it won't disappear next year. And that's all I agree. I think, I think the NBA permit you to put one advertising logo on their jerseys now. So, you know, I mean, if you, if you want to put one strategically placed logo on your uniform, I mean, it would be pretty big bucks, I'd have to think.
0: There is um, the irony of this, Don, and I, I agree with you. I think it doesn't go away. Once it's on, it stays on because anytime you can find a new revenue stream, you're going to keep a revenue stream. Uh, there's, there's just, to me, you're right. There's no chance that next year you go, oh, you know what? We're going to turn up our noses at that million dollars per team or two or five or whatever million dollars it is. But here's the thing, as much as I agree with you that I tend to be a traditionalist and I don't want advertising on uniforms, we are somehow ignoring the fact that from the dawn of time, pretty much there has been advertising on uniforms. I'm looking at a picture right now of John Tavares on my computer who has CCM on his helmet, CCM on his gloves. I think he's got Bauer on his skates and he's got CCM on his hockey stick and CCM on his pants. He is a walking billboard right now for CCM. So what's the difference if we then put a different ad on there? He's already got advertising. We just don't notice it because we're so used to it.
3: Yeah, that's a good point. It's 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 kind of subliminal advertising because kids, you're going to go to the rink uh in Hamilton or Dundas or wherever you're going to go to the rink, they all have the, you know, the company name of the manufacturer of the stick, the helmet, everything else. We just know that John Treveris is getting paid a buck and load of dough. We yep. all garbed up in CCM. It's no fluke tag or Woods wears Nike. I mean, we all know that, but Tavares I mean, he's not doing that because that's his favorite set of gloves and his favorite helmet. I can assure you of that. It may be, but Everything isn't his favorite, and he's wearing it because he's getting well compensated. It costs CCM and those guys a lot of money. They have to pay the National Hockey League for the rights to provide uh, apparel that has your name on it, whether it's pants, gloves, sticks, or helmets. And that's why a lot of small manufacturers can't get in, because CCM and, and then Bauer and I don't know who else there is gobble it up. It's like goaltending pads, right? I mean, you got to pay yeah. one fee. If you only got the backup goalie for the Phoenix Coyotes, I mean, you're not paying that enormous fee to have that guy in the team picture.
0: But if you, and you're 100% right, and I've heard this story before. I know I've talked to, you know, with Kineski about getting back into the game and, you know, the, what it would cost to get pads back in the NHL. But if if you're paying a fee to the NHL in order to have your equipment logo shown, that is the very definition of paying for advertising. I mean, it's it, technically, it's the it's the definition of advertising. So no one can even say, well, you know, the players just prefer it. And then you're paying the player to wear it as well. So you're, you're 100% right. We, we already have advertising. It's just that we've seen it for so long, we're now blind to it. We don't even realize it's there. We just absorb it. So what's the difference if we put another one on the shirt, on the chest, or on the shoulder,
3: or wherever else? There, there's no difference. The truth is it doesn't matter, but the European guys with the pants and everythings I mean, you know, I've got pictures on our website and, and got a lot of our guys, Darren Haydard and so many more, are played in Europe, and they do look like Gilmore's. That doesn't seem to bother them, though.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, if um, the players may or may not love the idea, I don't know if they care, quite honestly. Um, you tell the players that it now comes into – player or to, to hockey revenue, because that then goes into the salary cap and is a 50-50 split between players and owners, and you now bring in some extra millions and that money gets divvied up with the players, I'm sure the players say, yeah, sure, good, whatever, I'm fine. Um, I mean, I'm still look, I'm still <clears throat> trying to figure out, we're going to take a break and then come back with this one because I'm still trying to figure out how the NHL is looking at paying all of its bills again with no fans. I mean, two years in a row, you don't have a big... TV deal. This is this is getting into some serious losses I would think.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Don uh we were talking just before the break about how the NHL is possibly surviving quite honestly. I mean the NBA has a massive TV deal. They can get by without a ton of fans. The NFL can do it. The NHL got through with the bubble thing last season, which is just basically over. How are they doing it again? I, I just I don't understand how with a lot of these teams not able to even have fans, how can teams possibly, some of them, even be getting close to breaking even or not losing millions?
3: Well, some of them can. Like MLSE can. I'm sure the Montreal, we can list the guys that can sustain this kind of damage and get through it, it's the, it's the teams that, that aren't profitable and the reason they're not profitable is because they don't have a big fan base anyway, but you know, they continue on, they, they soldier on and some teams need playoff revenue to, you know, we need a round this year just to break even. And I, I have absolutely no idea unless the ownership group, the board of governors themselves, uh, have decided to, you know, open their books to the other teams, whether they traditionally do that or not, I don't know. And say, you know, Bettman says, the top six teams have got to give the bottom six teams $25 bucks if we're going to do this. I mean, I have no idea how that works, but I just can't see somebody like Phoenix and, and well, well, for Florida, Florida been doing it for years. I mean, you know, they're getting... You know, you buy a Slurpee at a Seven Eleven, you get three tickets to a Florida Panther game. A few years ago, I mean, so their their revenue wasn't particularly high to start with. But I I can't fathom how they're doing it. I mean, I, we all know that the players have taken a bit of a haircut, but it's not you know if they took a twenty five percent cutback, it's not like the revenues off the gate were twenty five percent of their income. So I don't know where the rest of it comes from. But they must, they must have had a, a way to recognize it or balance it because they're going to move forward. I mean, if half the teams are losing money and half the teams aren't, you know, that means none of the teams that are losing money are going to say, yeah, this should be a lot of fun. Why don't we have no revenue from the gate? You know, I've been at a lot yeah. of board of governors meetings in, in minor pro when I, when I was operating the Bramford Smoke. And, you know, you it, some of the rich teams have come up with some really creative ideas on how to market and how to spend money. And, you know, we won't get any money back this year, but it's only going to cost us 25,000. And the teams that are losing money are saying, like I said, to the guy from Muskegon one night, I said, you know, you're taking that out of the block. Some of us just added to the red, red numbers, you know, so the financial picture gets worse and we can't afford to make that investment right now to look at what's going to happen three years down the road. So, The National Hockey League would be absolutely no different at all for the team saying, we can't leave for the sake of the game and the sponsorships. We can't take a year off. We have to forge on. And some guy that's getting hammered financially every year is going, really? You know, I could be up a few million bucks if we don't operate. It's cheaper not to operate than operate. I don't know how they did it.
0: Well, and we've got another situation that's brewing now in the league because we've got this all-Canadian division, which, by the way, uh, the NHL, when they name these divisions, they they it's all it's seven Canadian teams. The NHL called it the North Division. Why not just call it the Canadian Division? Because that's what it is, and everyone up here wants it to be the Canadian Division. It just seems so stupid. But anyway, um, they've got the Canadian Division, but at least BC right now, the province is not giving the go-ahead for the Canucks to play there. They're still discussing it. Ontario, there's still questions about. But Don, what, what about the idea? Let me throw one at you. What about the idea if the Vancouver Canucks can't play in B.C. because of COVID? Hamilton has forever been seeking an NHL team. It would only be temporary. What if Hamilton were to say, hey, we'll host the Canucks?
3: Well, I I think it would be a great opportunity for Hamilton, especially since the last time there was an NHL game played in the area. It was played in Dundas, and that's probably not fair to all the fans in Hamilton, but I digress. I mean, I, I, I mean, it, it's, it's a very interesting idea. I think it has tremendous merit. Um, and I think it's a converse. Well, I know it's a conversation worth having because the conversation in all probability is going to happen. And, you know, there, there are a number of things that, that lay at the feet of the Canucks and, and Hamilton. And that is that we have an airport 20 minutes from the arena. We do have the, Luxury hotels that have to be provided to the players by virtue of the of their NHLPA agreement with the National Hockey League. Like these guys can't stay in a in a uh, motel. Motel six. six. I'll tell you that, <laughs> right? I mean they. I mean if the if if the bathrooms haven't got granite countertops, they don't have to stay there. So Hamilton Hamilton ticks off an awful lot of boxes. The odd one it ticks off that doesn't really matter is the size of the arena. Because there can be no people in it. And the fact that it would be downtown won't, won't do anything for the restaurants down there, but it would be pretty handy for, you know, the hotels that are, I can't believe are particularly busy or full, even at Christmas. Um, so, and the other thing I I think it would bring Scott that I think would be a wonderful thing is that, uh, you know, every time the Canucks are playing, at home, they would be saying, you know, the Edmonton Oilers are now playing the uh, Vancouver Canucks in Hamilton and the Toronto Maple Leafs are playing on the road tonight in Hamilton versus Vancouver. I mean, from a public relations standpoint and a tourism standpoint, it has tremendous merit. And the other thing I think I like about it is it keeps Hamilton in the game. It keeps, it puts Hamilton back at the front of the mind of the National Hockey League, and they can kind of prove that they've got all the amenities that are necessary, although even I'm prepared to almost concede that the amount of money required to buy an NHL franchise now uh, really puts, a, puts Hamilton in trouble to get a franchise, unless there's a troubled one wants to move here, and that's the only way I see that happening. But Hamilton ticks off all the boxes. Well, let's not the forget one other thing.
0: We, we, have, we have a history of the Hamilton Canucks in this city. It we, we've had the Hamilton Canucks before they've been a team before. So, you know, we could even do that for a year. They, I mean, I'm sure the folks in Vancouver wouldn't love it, but, um, <laughs> we here, well, Pat, they could still call it the Vancouver Canucks. We could call it the Hamilton Canucks.
3: The, uh, and, and, and to remind you that the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks when the Hamilton Canucks played here was Pat Quinn. Yep. And
0: one other thing. Uh, which makes it kind of interesting as a, as a pitch as well. Um, the Vancouver Canucks last year were pretty darn good, and this year they're expected to be really good. Uh, th- this, this could be a team that could be a lot of fun to watch. Now, he, he, the challenge, of course, Don, is that we really don't know what kind of um, a- attendance you'd be allowed to have, whether anybody would be allowed to be in there. And my question would be: If you can't have people in the building, does it matter where they play? I mean, if if you could bring the Canucks here as a fill the gap during COVID because they can't play in BC, but if nobody's allowed to go to First Ontario Center, is there any upside to it?
3: Yeah, there is, and and, and like I mentioned earlier, the the only interesting part is we have an NHL sized arena which which plays no. Real part in the equation of the Canucks coming here, they could play at J.L. Greitmeyer. One of the things that, that I think would be an attraction for the for the Vancouver Canucks to, to relocate to a to, to Hamilton, proximity to the airport and four star hotels.
0: Oh, I get and why it would be good on- for them. I get why it would be good for them. My question is if they, if we can't, if we, if they were to come here and no fans can be in the building, is there any benefit to Hamilton to that?
3: Well, like I said, I mean, other than from a tourism aspect, and if you're a hotelier in downtown Hamilton, those are benefits, but it's not going to help. Like I said, it's not going to help the restaurants because nobody can go to the games and as a matter of fact, not only can nobody go to the games right now. Nobody can ge- even go to a sports bar and watch the game, but it would be it would it would put Hamilton back in front of the National Hockey League again, and that can't hurt when things roll out. Um, and we've got the hotels, so no, I mean the fact you can't draw any people again, they can play a jail, of right, Mike? Doesn't matter how big how many seats you got, cause nobody can sit in them anyway
0: interesting idea just a throw out idea there that uh if vancouver i mean because we don't know what's happening with bc yet but right now they've said no now for the record ontario right now is also a question mark with the senators and the leafs so that you know we may be talking about something that couldn't even happen here anyway because we don't know what the ford government's going to do so we'll, we'll
2: we'll pick that up i
0: mean it's you, you gotta go no no go ahead fi- quickly fi- finish the, the um
3: the uh, pro sports have kind of been exempt if there's a bubble or, or you're not traveling outside Canada. I mean, the basketball league played down in St. Catharines. Um, the thing that shot the hole in the Raptors deal is is everybody else in the league was coming in from that dumpster fire south of the border. And, but, but here, we'd only be traveling from province to province. And there's lots of evidence that the National Hockey League know exactly what they're doing when it comes to putting people in a bubble. They did it in Edmonton, and they did it in Toronto. And my thought process is, uh, if I were a city official and contemplating it to that city official, i say, say, uh, I think the National Hockey League are more concerned with their name than they are Hamilton's name, because their credibility is at stake, too. And they have a lot to lose, so they're going to keep a pretty good eye on this thing. They didn't have any, didn't have any issues um, in the bubbles in Edmonton or Toronto. So I, you know, I can't imagine that it would be any different if they have a team in the bubble here. I mean, they're not going to see any people. If people are concerned about the health aspect of it. They'll get on their own bus. They'll go to the, they'll go to John C. Monroe Airport. They'll fly to Ottawa. They'll fly to Montreal. They'll get on a team bus. They'll go to the quarantine hotel. Like, they're not going to be out shopping. They can't shop anyway. Everything's closed. Like, they're not going to be out and about in the community, <clears throat> which is really unfortunate, but that's the way it's got
1: to be. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Don, last week um, I was chatting with Bubba O'Neill from CHCH here. and We were talking about James Harden, who plays for the Houston Rockets, and it was a really interesting piece on ESPN.com. About James Harden and about the the fact that basically the Rockets over the years, uh, because of his talent, had allowed him to do whatever the heck he wanted, and now he was seemed to be a bit of a disgruntled employee who wanted out, and you know it wasn't really working out. I- I'm wondering, you've run teams, not basketball teams, but you've run teams. Where's the balance? If you had a guy, if you could get a hold, if you were the Raptors GM now. And you could potentially put together a deal to get a guy who is one of the more talented players in the league, but a guy who, you know, comes across as someone who may upset the apple cart a little bit in the dressing room and may want to be the star and want things his own way. And, I mean, this is how the story presented anyway, that this is a guy who may be difficult to work with. Um, Where's the balance between so much talent we'll put up with anything And, yeah, we're not going to put up with anything no matter how much talent.
3: It's interesting because I brought players in and knowing full well that they have not been model citizens in other places. And, quite frankly, they're full of themselves and everything else. Now, it depends on the team you've got. I mean, that was during – you know, um our Allen cup years in, in uh you know thirteen, fourteen. Um uh, I could I could bring the biggest idiot in hockey into our dressing room and our dressing room was so strong it would straighten them out. Because nobody was bigger than the team. So um in 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 the less and that group was special. So that was okay. We could bring guys in and they'd learn to play within the program and they would help enhance it because they got it figured out in short order. And if they didn't, I got rid of them. And there wasn't any cases where I had to get rid of a guy, but I would have. But if you bring a guy in and hold your nose doing it because you just don't see him as a fit for the group you've got, he better be exceptional. Um, And as as a guy I don't know, Kawhi Leonard, I mean, from the outside, he looks like a bit of an odd duck. But the players Er love him.
0: James Harden, you mean?
3: Or you mean Kawhi Leonard? Kawhi Leonard, yeah. Like oh, he okay. Looked, he, he looked like he beat to his own oh, drum. Oh, I see. But he okay. had, it all worked out with the Raptors. Now, maybe the Raptors group is strong enough to sustain. Um, oh, it was, was Harding. And if so, but the problem is they may have to get rid of some of the integral parts to bring them in. And if that weakens their dressing room and, and he can take it over and control it, it would be a real bad deal that would be my take
0: yeah it's 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 a tough one because you know it seems to me there has to be there has to be a sport, modern sports with the money that's involved and in everything else it seems as though talent is now the king over everything it doesn't matter what kind of citizen you are what kind of person you are what kind of whatever if you are talented we will let you do almost anything you want and we'll arrange rearrange give you perks there, there has to be a point on it which that just does not work and that blows up in teams' faces. And I know it's happened, Um, but it seems as though general manager after general manager has this belief that somehow, and you sort of alluded to this, we can change this guy. We can fix this guy. I'm specially gifted that I can turn this person from a jerk into someone who's going to blend seamlessly with our team. And of all the times that players have been brought in who are that kind of person, how often does that happen?
3: Not often. How often does it work? Not, does, does it work? not very often not at all. But, you know, if you and, and, and to put back into perspective my comments, I, I said I we could put almost anybody in our dressing room and our dressing room would take care of it. It had absolutely nothing to do with me. And by the way, any in the odd cir- circumstance where I was put in like that, I would bring our captain, our assistant, my key guys in and say, I get a chance to get him. Here's what I've heard of him. I've heard the same thing. Don't worry about him. You get him. He can help us. And the dressing room. Now, our guys aren't making millions of dollars. They're making enough money for a plate of wings and a, a beer, right? So they're all playing for the love of the game. But the dressing room itself had to take care of it. Well, That's why I said if Crono's if dressing room isn't strong enough, it, it's got nothing to do with the Messiah jury. It's got all to do with the players in the dressing room. And if they can fix them and they think they can, maybe it works. But I don't know if i take the chance. I mean, I guess it,
0: it, it could potentially happen. I mean, look, yesterday in the Tampa Bay football game, uh, Tampa Bay against Atlanta, one of the guys who caught a touchdown was Antonio Brown for Tampa Bay from Tom Brady, a guy who's had all kinds of problems off the field. And Tom Brady, for a second time, because he brought him in New England when he was there, has vouched for this guy. And this time it seems to be that he is, that he's behaving but you know what it's you you bring someone in there that's that's flammable and you could have all the talent in the world but they do that and and that's the thing that's amazing to me and there's story after story that's out there right now about different teams from the Raptors to everyone else going should should they go out and try and trade for James Harden and i'm thinking wait a second you you you're talking about a guy who is grumpy about playing in Houston where they are offering to pay him 50 million dollars us a year Don, if you wanted to pay me $50 million a year, I would play while people were spitting blow darts at me in the middle of the game while I was running around nude with A535 lathered on my crotch. I mean, I like you could do any $50 million a year. How do you be how do you begrudge that and be grumpy about that one? You would you would think that you would be the greatest citizen in the history of time. They want to pay me 50 million dollars, like 70 million Canadian. You that's almost a million dollars a game. You you could pry out my eyeballs with rusty spoons and I'd probably still be happy to play for 70 million dollars a year. And, and so, you know, well, if, if if you're going to be grumpy under those circumstances, I'm sorry, I, I don't know the circumstance where you're not going to be grumpy.
3: Doesn't that tell you all you need to know about the guy? I think so. I think
0: so. But lots of teams I, seem interested.
3: Well, but, the, but but the difference between the scenarios you drew with the receiver in, in Tampa Bay and an, or an NBA player is the receiver in, in Tampa Bay is one of uh, a flock full of players, right? And Tom Brady has probably voted for him. And Tom Brady can look at him and say, one more time and you're gone. And it's, and it's not
0: guaranteed no, contracts.
3: And it's not guaranteed contracts.
0: So if you misbehave, you can be set out quickly.
3: There's the power of the dressing room. That player has that much power. But but the in- influence of one receiver on an NFL team versus probably your best player of 12 on an NBA team see the difference. I mean, you can get lost in the
0: mud. Absolutely. Absolutely. Don, we got to run. Thank you for doing this. Uh, Have a Merry Christmas. Thanks for all your great work this year, Don. I I will be back in 2021 when um, the calendar will flip and all will be well again on the world, in the world, uh, I trust. Don, a Merry Christmas to you and to Susan and all your family and uh, thanks for doing this.
3: Thanks, Scott. I want to wish everybody that takes the time to listen to uh, uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, especially to Walter. Great. Thanks, es- Scott.
0: Especially the ones who bring your cream soda after listening. To that person, a special there thank you.
1: you go. Him. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.